The following is a Bible study taught at First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. At FBC, we endeavor to handle God's Word accurately, that believers may understand what God is doing through history and what He has planned for believers in the present. We hope you will find this study helpful in better knowing God. More audio and written studies can be found at graceteaching.net under resources. And now, our speaker. For the evening, we're thankful for the, the food we were able to enjoy and the time of uh, sharing together and catching up. Um, we're just thankful for the fellowship of saints. It's, uh, we just enjoy being together so much, and even when it's time to leave, it's, it's always kind of a little bit of a pain and a pull to, to have to take off because we would just like to continue uh, spending time together, and I'm, we're thankful for that, that it's something that we're not eager to, to leave, but that uh, it is hard. So we're thankful for the time of fellowship this evening. As we look at your word tonight, we ask that you might encourage us. Even when we have to look at some things that are negative, but maybe encourage us by thinking about uh, how you've made it possible for us to not be enslaved to these things. And we would thank you for this then. Amen. <clears throat> so we are, well, we're over halfway on this. I thought we would maybe be, be finished after last week, but we had quite a few questions and conversation about things last week. Um, we're putting down in our sheet there on page 10 on the word uh, rivalries. Uh, that's a, and I think that's New American Standard, which I don't have a New American Standard in front of me. That's my Sunday Bible, but not my Bible study Bible. So, um, but if you look in Galatians chapter 5, let's just make sure that we're all kind of seeing what words we're looking at. Uh, so Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to put in at verse 20, it says idolatry, sorcery, or as we said, uh, religious superstitions, uh, hostility, strife, jealousy, is what your Bibles have. It, we talked about that last week. That's, what, what, is that, what is that word jealousy actually? Zeal. Zeal. What word in this <coughs> list is actually closer to the idea of jealousy? <clears throat> Oh, 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 oh. Envy, envy, yeah, yeah. envy in verse 21, and we'll look at that tonight here. And then anger, and then the next word, the word after anger. What do you have in your Bibles for disputes. that? Disputes. Disputes. Okay. It's a, the word that's used here for what's happening is it has, to, has the idea of, self, of, of a selfishness, but it's a selfish ambition. <coughs> so where you're driven selfishly to pursue things, it's all about you. Okay, and uh, this is, I mean, it, it's a common problem for all kinds of people. Paul actually uses this word in Romans 2, and he tells us in Romans 2 that this is actually behind the activity of everybody that is unsaved. That included us. And Paul says that's why the unsaved never, uh, never actually operate out of selfless love. Okay, it may look like that to us, but God knows the heart. How, how does your Bible translate? You're following along in Weast, aren't you? Uh, self-seeking. Yeah. What? Self-seeking. Self-seeking. Yeah, there you go. Okay. <coughs> yes, the two of them, well, Carol's, they've been, they've been using Kenneth Weast's commentary on Peter. It's an ex what is this? And expanded, then she, yeah. expanded translation. 
he's a Greek guy. It's, he was a Greek weird. guy, yeah. <laughs> he was he was a Greek professor at Moody Bible Institute for a lot of years and years past, and wrote several commentaries. And so anyway, so they both ended up getting copies of it. Uh, I think Carol got a copy for Peggy of this too. Anyway, back to our Bible study. <laughs> Self-seeking, we has selfish ambition. And and Paul says that this is like I said, this is behind. This is a motivation behind a lot of things that people do. And I want to look at Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter one. <clears throat> We get there. Let's go down to um, let's go down to verse fourteen, just so we kind of see what Paul's talking about. Philippians one verse fourteen. He says, "And the most of the brothers in the Lord have become confident or bold uh, with respect to my chains, and there are and therefore are even more daring to speak the speak the word fearlessly. Some indeed." out of envy, which we're going to look at in a little bit, and strife, that is, they have a, a, a bone to pick with Paul, uh, but some indeed, from good intentions, they proclaim Christ. These, on the one hand, out of doing it out of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel, but others out of, and my, my Bible says, rivalry here, but it's selfish ambition. They preach Christ. So to me, this is interesting. What it shows you, this is a really good illustration of exactly the whole Paul's whole point in Galatians, is that when you live by law, you're living by the flesh. And even when you live by the flesh, you still can be doing good works as people see them or religious works. These people were proclaiming the gospel. They're proclaiming Christ even if their motives were messed up. And Paul, interestingly enough, says... Uh, Verse 18, he says, hey, I rejoice that Christ is proclaimed. Even if people aren't doing it with the right motive, I'm just glad that Christ is proclaimed. Which is part of what Paul is getting at in the letter of Philippians, and that's not our main point tonight. But his point is, uh, sometimes you're just happy people are serving. You'd like them to serve with the right motive, but you're sometimes happy people are serving. But this word here, selfish ambition, so some people are proclaiming Christ. They're not doing this because they want Christ proclaimed so much, but they've got a problem with Paul, and they're competing with Paul. They're even, as he says here, they're even trying that they might make Paul's situation harder, more difficult for him going through this. Kind of a crazy thing to think that a person would do religious service trying to make somebody else's life hard. But Paul says that that's what some of these people were doing here. So this is an idea of, uh, of selfish ambition, self-seeking, pursuing. Does he, say, does he have self-seeking in that one too? Yeah. It's just, was, okay. It's verse 17, actually. Yeah, partisan self-seeking spirit. Okay. So, what do we have for this word that's trans that I have on here? Rivalries or properly selfish ambition. It's the attitude that puts one's goals ahead of, ahead of others or caring about others. So, you're putting your goals ahead of them. You're more concerned about your goals than you are about anybody else. Kind of is a little bit of a parallel to what zeal does. That your zeal is so much that you want to win, you don't care who gets hurt in the process. To get where you're going. 
That's right. I, um, uh, when I was in seminary, one of my professors had had uh, pastored a church down in in the San Francisco Bay Area, and he was a they have a group of pastors that would get together about every other month, and one of these pastors had a bus ministry. Now this was a big deal. I don't know if churches still are into this, but this was a huge deal in the 60s and 70s. I always had people, oh, that church has a bus ministry. They send out 20 buses every week. And there was a church out in Indiana, out there where Jake is, that that church used to boast, I think, that they'd sent out 100 buses every week. And they would send buses into the heart of Chicago. Well, this guy was doing it, and they're sitting there, and he goes, oh, yeah, our bus ministry, we're getting this many kids come for Sunday school every week. And my friend, uh, this professor that was a pastor at the time, the pastor next to him, leans over and he goes, yes, they pull up and they pick up like 20 kids right across the street from our church every Sunday morning. <laughs> but it was all, and he was just like, and they, they were trying to do this, but their buses, they would do crazy stuff. It's like, you get it there, every kid would get a, a, a sack with candy and stuff in it that they would pass out to all these kids every day. So it's like, are these kids really coming because they want to go to Sunday school or are they coming because they know mom and dad aren't doing anything else on Sunday morning? I'll take the bus and go to Sunday school over here and they will give me a bag of free candy like that. And uh, so I, it, to me, it's just uh, that some pastors, it's, it's some pastors and what they're trying to do with church, it's all about just numbers. It's just about numbers. It's just about numbers. And this was a conversation I was having with uh, some other pastors recently. and uh, But I remember talking to somebody that was teaching here in the school a number of years ago and went, goes to a church out, out of town. And uh, I didn't know this person was a believer. And we start talking and pretty soon we find out, oh, this person's a believer. And he goes, yeah, I go to this church. And I'm going, oh. He goes, our goal is to become the biggest church in Grant County. <laughs> I, just always, I didn't say anything. I'm just like, why is that your goal? Why is it your goal to become the biggest? This isn't Walmart and <laughs> Safeway and all these, you know, big businesses that all want to be big. It's not the goal of the church. It's not the goal of the church uh, just to be big. But that's what, uh, so just using that as an idea that uh, when you listen sometimes, it's I've selfish ambition. I'm just trying to illustrate that we can always think, well, this happens in the world. But as Paul said there in Philippians, this was happening with believers with the gospel. And they were telling the gospel, that's good, but their motives were messed up. And we can, and that can happen to any of us on lots of different things. Any questions? Come to the next word that's translated. <clears throat> I have translated on our sheet, dissensions. And it's uh, translated divisions in some of your Bibles there. You have both those dissensions and divisions? Oh, back to back. We're, we'll address that in just a minute. I know why, yeah, I know why one of these is, is uh, translated that way. Um, dissensions are, is an interesting thing, they are cliques or splits within a group. So these aren't people that break away. These are splits or divisions within a church, within a church, perhaps following one leader rather than another. The group is together, but they're divided. Does that all make sense? Oh, 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 oh. Yes. 
in First uh, Corinthians chapter one. Yeah, he says, "Yeah, I'm 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 a Paul. Oh, no, we're a Paulist people. No, we're Peter people." And if you kind of go down the chapter there in First Corinthians, he lists these three qualities about the way people did ministry. And apparently they like that. Oh, I like the way Paul does that. Paul, Paul's so scholarly. Oh, Peter's powerful when he preaches. I like powerful preaching. And then, oh, no, no, I like Apollos because he is eloquent when he speaks. You know. And so people like all those things. People are attracted to certain speaking styles. Uh, styles. Josh and I were just talking about this last week after Bible study about the danger of being attracted because when we went to both of us went to end up at the same seminary and sometimes you'd watch some of the different people you were in school with and people that they were attracted to some of the different pastors at the churches around there and pretty soon you'd find out that they were talking and acting like that person <laughs> they they emulate that kind of stuff and we need to be very careful we attended a church in iowa city uh, icbf and uh, there were three men that did teaching in the church and we would show up for three services a week there with them. But there were two of the men that taught. They would only show up. They would only show up when it was their turn to teach. And when you ended up talk, talking with them, it's like, yeah, I don't like him that much. And I don't like the way he teaches that much. And I'm like, even if you don't like his teaching style, you can learn something from him. Right? And, uh, and that was, as much as we liked that church, that was one of the things that was a little bit, upsetting to us was that the, the leaders weren't more unified in what they were doing and in teaching together that well the main leader on Sunday mornings that we were that we would go he was he was there for everything he showed up for all the other guys he was pretty nice that way so let's take a look at one example of this turn to Romans chapter 16 Peg mentioned one over there in first Corinthians chapter um, chapter 1 that I just meant, uh, was talking about, about division in the group because people are following men, you know. So Romans chapter uh, 16, and by the way, so I'm always glad when people come, they, they're like, I, if Tim's speaking, I'm okay. If Jim's speaking, I'm okay. Josh is speaking, I'm okay. Ben Worth is speaking, I'm okay. They're not like, oh, I only show up when he teaches. I'm, I'm glad that the people are uh, are okay with all of all of the different people that share. But notice here in Romans chapter 16, now this is going to be a kind of a different scenario, but it says, but I encourage you brothers to watch those who are causing, oh, verse 6, 17, 16, 17. I'm sorry, Romans 16, 17. 16, 17. Oh, 17. So I encourage you, brothers, to watch those who cause divisions. And then we have the word obstacles or impediments or tripping hazards, uh, contrary to the teaching which you have learned. And it says, turn away from them. In other words, he doesn't say kick them out of the church, but he says, don't really be buddy-buddy with them. Don't be rubbing elbows and going, hey, how you doing? He says, you're, you're kind of, the idea here is, they come up to talk, you just kind of, you kind to be real honest, Paul says, you kind of lean away from them, is the, is the word that he uses. For such men, they are not serving the Lord Jesus Christ as a slave, or the Lord, or Lord Christ as slave, but they're serving their own belly, and through smooth speech and blessings, they, they deceive or they give the wrong impression to the hearts of the simple. 
Now, what he's talking about, if we, if you remember, you go back just a little ways in Romans, and he was talking to them about a problem that they had here, that there were some believers that thought that they could only eat veggies, veggies for religious reasons. They didn't want to eat meat. Because think about it, if you had been in, if you'd grown up in Rome, you ate meat that was offered to that God over there and that God over there and that God over there. And so, you know, if you go buy meat down in the marketplace, where was that meat sacrificed that day? An to an idol. And so some of them, as a result, were eating vegetables. And Paul actually says in, in uh, maybe it's, I should have read all the way through Romans 14 today. It's either here or it's in 1 Corinthians 8 where Paul deals with the same problem. He says, you know what Paul says? I would become a vegetarian. I wouldn't eat meat ever again if I know that that meat's going to cause problems for my brothers in Christ. Okay? So keep that in mind. Now he comes back to this as he's going to close the letter and he's going to just remind these believers because he spent some time talking about this problem. And he says, you know what? There's some people that cause divisions. They divide the church up and they go, those are the people that are the vegetarians and those are the people that eat meat. And they cause a division in this way. They trip these people up and then they come along, he says, and they use smooth words and blessings to try to give a false impression to the hearts of the simple. The simple meaning the people that they're not there yet. And Paul tells you that in 1 Corinthians, Romans 14 and Romans 15. He says, you know what? You just sometimes need to give God time to grow those people. And so sometimes Paul says, uh, uh, well, one of my professors in seminary, he said, you know, sometimes the best day, if you live in Oregon, do you know when you mow your lawn? On the days it doesn't rain. <laughs> if you live in the Portland area anyway. And he said, you know, some days the only day that it doesn't rain is Sunday. But he says, you know what? I never mowed my lawn on Sunday because his neighbor was a Seventh-day Adventist, and he was trying to, and he says, and I think he's saved. He says, as I talk with him, he seems like he gets the gospel. He says, but I, he says, I don't want to do anything to trip him up. I don't want to do anything to impede him potentially growing and getting beyond the law. You can't take that person, oh, well, you're worried about the law? Oh, come on, we can eat anything. Here, have a ham sandwich. Don't worry about the Sabbath. And that's one of the Sabbath was one of the other issues in Romans 14. It had to do with eating meat, had to do with keeping Sabbath. Those are the two problems. And Paul says, hey, you need to put other people first rather than just what's nice for you. And he says, these people cause divisions because they're serving their own belly. Why does he say their belly? Because they want to eat meat. I mean, if my wife suggested to me that we were going to go on a vegetarian diet, I'd say, well, have fun, because <laughs> I ain't doing that, because <laughs> I like my meat, don't I, Peg? There, once in a while, she'll fix something, and I go, where's the meat? She goes, it's fine. We've had meat every other meal this week. doesn't happen very often, but it's happened a time or two, you know? So, but that causes a division, see? And instead of just the church just being unified and just being okay with this, some people got to make a big deal about it. Well, that table over there, we're setting that apart for the, for the wheat Christians that can only eat vegetables. The rest of us over here, man, I've got prime rib. You know, I'm trying to give you illustrations of the way somebody runs roughshod over other people, and it causes divisions. And it's a fleshly thing because your flesh wants what it wants, 
and it doesn't care about how it affects other people. So it's kind of like what we were looking at with selfish ambition, which really a lot of the works of the flesh go back to the fact that people are selfish by nature, don't they? And you could look at that with a number of these things. Any comments or questions? So what's the, what is the um, definition that you're using, like the other one? Oh, oh, a clicks or splits. That's dissension. That's dissension. That is the word we're looking at. Yeah. That is oh, the word. I thought we were looking at division. No, we're looking at dissensions. No, we haven't got to divisions oh. yet. We're going to next. So, but what do you, you know, like the one above, you said it's an attitude that puts one's goals ahead of another. Yeah, and it pursues those goals. Right, so what is it for dissensions? It, it clicks or splits okay. within a group. Perhaps following one, so one example of it we could have gone is 1 Corinthians 1, which we talked about following the different men. So it could be perhaps following one leader rather than another. So the Corinthian church hadn't split into four churches. They were all still together, yeah. but they definitely liked different people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, there was a church that I'd been a part of when I was growing up, and the year after our family moved away, we're talking with the, we were visiting with our pastor, uh, the former pastor and his family, and they said, yeah, there were some people that got their nose bent out of shape with some other people in the church, and as a result, they, everybody kept coming to church, but these people stayed on this side, and these people stayed on this side, and when church was over, he said, literally, people were using this side door on the church over here because they did not want to go out through the main door because they didn't want to be put in a position where they had to shake hands with people. And you're, I still remember, I'm in high school, I'm a junior, and I'm thinking, what? I couldn't imagine that the people that I that we had known that this actually was happening, but it happened. So sometimes it happens to people you don't think they're going to be like that. Let's put it this way: all of us are, all of us could potentially do this. We almost say, "I would never do that." Well, you might be surprised. That's what that's what the flesh does. Okay, so you got the definition there. Okay, so the next one, I'll give the definition right off the bat on this one instead of forgetting to do it later on. Um, divisions which properly is, we have the word heresies. What? Factions. Factions, yeah. What has happened is we have these two words back to back, and <laughs> most modern scholars say heresies were really the groups. No, when, when Luke talks about these and Paul talks about heresies, he's talking about those groups because of the doctrine that they held. And a lot of times, dissensions, the dissensions form around Heresies. Now the uh, so anyway, this is this is and oh by the way, and the word heresy is the Greek word. It comes from the Greek word ireo. It's a noun of the word ireo, which means to to take or to choose. So what's happening as a definition is it is choosing what truths one will hold rather than allowing God's word to define truth. Let me repeat it. Pegs, that signaled me. Choosing. What truths one will hold rather than allowing God's word to define truth? I need you to do that for me because I would be running <laughs> right now, wouldn't I? So let me take you to let me take you to a past. Paul, Paul, what I'll give you? I'll just let you know about one of the reasons they call it divisions because Paul refers to 
um, different groups of the Pharisees and stuff. He says that I, I, there was the sect of the Sadducees, the sect of the Pharisees. And so they say, well, that's, see, heresies were about the sects. But the thing is, what made the Sadducees the sect that they were? It's what they chose to hold. There are no angels. There is no resurrection. That defined them, that they denied a lot of the supernatural. The Pharisees, they were defined on the fact we are very particular about the resurrection. We really hold strongly to it. And we are very particular about the law and enforcing the law. Okay. So they, so they were making choices. Now I want you to turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus 3 for an illustration of this and then... Titus chapter 3... In verse 8, Titus 3, verse 8, he says, It is a faithful word or saying, and concerning these things I have determined that you should make this firm, that, that they should, that the people there, should be making forethought or having an attitude for good works to, orga or to organize themselves for good works, pardon me, uh, those that have believed in God, that they, these things are good and profitable for man. But foolish debates, even genealogies and fights, that's a form of that word strife that we had earlier there in, uh, in Galatians uh, 5 uh, there, and fights about the law, avoid them, for they're not profitable and they're vain. There's no outcome to them. People like me are stupid. I'm saying that because I have gotten into long fights and debates with people about these doctrines, and you know what? Nobody wins. I've never won those, won one of those debates. They don't win those debates. Do you know most people, when they listen to debates on, the, on Scripture, most people come out of, out of listening to debates on different theological positions, and most people come out still holding the same position they do just like when people listen to political debates, all it does is strengthen them in their views. They know statistically. They say, why do it? I don't know if you've ever read that, but they say, why do we even hold to political debates? Hardly anybody statistically ever changes their mind in political debates. Hardly ever. And Paul says that. They're empty of outcome. This is the word for vain there, empty. They hardly ever achieve these. He's talking about debates about the law. He says, so then we have this word in verse 10, my Bible says a divisive man, but it's a heretic. It's a person who is making this choice. You, you have told, well, let's keep reading, a divisive man, after the first and second warning, avoid him. Doesn't, again, he doesn't say kick the guy out of the church. He says, but when that guy comes up to you, and I have had this happen many times over the, well, not many times, but enough times over the year where somebody comes up, hey, that thing we were talking about, I found two more verses. Let me show them to you. And you look at the verses and you're going, no, no, you took it out of context again. Look at, let me go back up here. Look at what he's talking about. And they're like, oh, oh. they come back a couple weeks later. Hey, I've got, I've got another verse. See? In other words, they're so determined to prove to you what they think. But this is about the law. And Paul in Titus Writing Titus here has already is already given a warning about the law, and he's already told us, you know how God's training us today, not by the law, 
but by grace. So, I don't know what day it was. The little, <laughs> they used to be 10-minute, 8-minute videos. Now they've turned into 15-minute videos and whatever that I do Monday through Friday. And I'm going through how to interpret the Bible. And one of the ones, I'm going through giving illustrations of, is this for us or is this for us? How would we determine? Because I, you've probably run into that where people come and say, well, I read this in the Bible, but just the other day I came across this. And they're contradictory. How does it work? Well, it's, you're trying to make two different things about different people about the same people. And we run into contradictions. But if you recognize that was written about these people, let's look at the context and do this. So one of the illustrations I used recently was on the Sabbath. Now, most of the time, I get like 26 people, maybe 30 or 40 tops that watch those videos, you know. Um, I had like, I think when I looked this morning, it was like 169 views on the Sabbath one. And I got not a ton of comments, but I got a number of comments that were like, the Sabbath, God established the Sabbath in Genesis 1, and we are, the Sabbath is eternal. It's an eternal rest. And boy, people were like this. And, and I, I commented on two of them, but I said, I'm not going to keep commenting. I'm going to, I mind what Peg says. I can be drawn down that dark hole of debating and debating and debating. Next thing you know, I become very carnal and very fleshly because I become zealous and I'm going to win this fight. And you never do. And I backed off. But one of the things I said is, I don't know if you read the video. I was trying to, I went to the video and said that the Sabbath, it said specifically, God said in Exodus, this Sabbath is a sign between me and you, you people, Israel. He didn't give the Sabbath to other people. It wasn't for anybody else. It was only for the people of Israel. They went through that. And they go, oh, no, because we are the same people as Israel. And then, boy, that brings a whole other fight, and I want to take that on. And I was just like, okay, we're not going there. <laughs> but the whole point is, I don't care how many times you can show them in the New Testament that we're not under the law. And it's not just that we're not under the ceremonial law. When Paul talks about not being under the law, what command does Paul cite? To show you what law he's under. Remember from Romans 7? Yeah, thou shalt not covet. The 10th command of the Ten Commandments. Because it's the one command everybody breaks. You might not ever cheat on your wife or husband. You might not ever murder anybody. You might not ever throw anybody under the bus and bear false witness against them. But everybody covets at some time. So everybody breaks that. And, and I went through that trying to see. See? Paul says we're not under the law. And there's people that no matter how many times you go through, and I've got that long list. I put it up on the on the blog post a few years ago because Josh, I don't remember, Josh that Sunday afternoon he went through and he put this list down and I was like, I had to get up and run up to my office while he's teaching his study and get my, because I have a notebook where I have a list. And I was like, oh, I've got that one. I've got that one. But I think Josh added like 10 I didn't have on my list. And it's all these passages that tell you what the law is, but what the law doesn't do and why we're not under the law. It's, it's incredible how clear it is. But there are still people, like, G, like Paul says here to Titus, they are heretics or they're people that are going to make the choice. They're presented by God. You're not under law. You're under grace. And they're going to go, nope, we're under law. We're under law because the law is forever. That's an example. And that I'm using that example because that's what this is about right here in Titus. 
It's a person that even, and Paul says, you've given them two warnings. You don't go around third round with them. You just stop. They will eat up all your time. So does everybody understand what a heresy? And by the way, that's why heresy, I'm convinced that's why heresy follows the last word, dissensions. Because you know one of the reasons that groups break up in churches like that into these different groups? Sometimes it's because of heresy. It's because of a doctrine that they choose. That's why there were Sadducees and Pharisees. Those guys were all united at times. They were united against Christ. But they also were divided <laughs> on what they thought because they made their own choices. See, So it does have to do with groups, but it has to do also with what that group holds to. Does everybody understand that? Is that clear? Yeah. And you can go through and you can, you can lay out just as plain as day biblical truths in Scripture. And people are going to go, no. No, I just can't. I can't accept that. I just can't accept that. So, I had a I had a friend years ago that had asked a question, and I just was telling him, and I still remember that friend picked up his Bible and just literally threw it across the room. <laughs> I was like, and he goes, "Well, I'm just not even going to read my Bible if I can't do that anymore." And I'm like, "What? What is so big that you that that you have to be able to do that thing? Why is that such a big deal to you?" But you just he didn't want to give it up. I couldn't even tell you what it was because all I can remember is picking up and throwing the Bible across the room going, what in the world? You know, but it's, again, it's something that shows us that we have a tendency, all of us have a tendency to like and choose certain things. And it also comes to do with choosing certain truths, certain practices laid out in the Word of God, right? Okay. Next word, envy. This is the word that oftentimes uh, people confuse us because they don't trans jealousy up there. They don't translate it zeal. They translate it jealousy up here. But envy, here we are, is the inner hurt at another's benefit or success. Or put another way, it's feeling hurt that somebody else succeeded. Pardon me. Are there Kleenexes around here? Uh, it's it's the inner hurt, or simply just say it's hurt. At an, what? Bitterness. I just said hurt. Bitterness. It could be bitterness, yeah. At an at another's uh, benefit or success. There is a word for bitterness, though. There is, so yeah. There's picria. Picria is bitterness, yeah. yeah. And this is not. This is the word thanos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Without a vowel right there. Yeah. Um, this also was used, this, this same word, we already looked at it in Philippians 1. He says that there's some people that actually are 
Paul says there's some people that are proclaiming the gospel, but they're doing it out of envy. They're envious of Paul. They're envious of the fact that I, well, think about it. When you go through and read, Paul went into a city, went into the synagogue, he evangelized. There were people that came to him. It never said that there were droves of people, but like sometimes it says, and of the significant women in the community, that is the somebodies. He says, not a few. What does that mean? Quite a few then. That happened to Paul on a few occasions that you'd have several of these people that would be in there. And some people are like, oh, why not me? Why not me? So, are they envious of his beating? Yeah. What? Are yeah. they envious of his beating? Yeah, they're not envious of his beatings. They're just envious of what they perceive as his success. Yes. Yeah. And I, I have shared this at church. You two haven't maybe heard this story. and You, you probably haven't heard this because I haven't shared this for a long time. But I remember when New Life started down there. And I have to go down. I had to go down to the grocery store. I had to go to the grocery store one Sunday morning to get something. I don't remember what it was. I walked down. And I saw those cars down there. And there was a part of me, seriously, there was a part of me that just wanted to throw my Bible, just like my friend did, going, good grief, we've been doing this work for 20-some years and we never get people to show up like this. Ugh! Seriously, I, there was a part of me that was really mad. I was, I was mad. I was mad for not a little while. I was mad for a handful of years often. It didn't, wasn't constant, but it would come up once in a while. And then I don't remember what it was that God used but then one day, it, God used something where, well, I think I can remember what it was. I think it was Leslie coming in to Bible study and sharing that she had gone to you for a massage and talking about you getting to talk to somebody about the gospel. And I was like, yep, there it is, God. It's just like, we're not the only, we're not the only show in town. Show, I hate to use that word. God uses somebody else to communicate the gospel and help other people. More power to it. This isn't about us. It's that it's not about our church. It's not about it's about the body of Christ and who Christ is. So I'm just telling you, when it says when it talks about that, I was hurt. I was hurt. I was really burned uh, over that. And God eventually just kind of had to get a hold of my attention and say, "Listen, Mister, I'm the one that's doing this. This is not about you." And then God brings these two along and they encourage me. <laughs> I'm like, see, see, this is good. This is good. I'm and been enjoying getting to know Tony. Uh, so anyway, all of that to say, that's an example of envy. And but it goes. But I think it's what it is. There, as you can see, sometimes it can have to do with how even how we do ministry, that we can do even ministry out of envy. It's not just like, oh man, I've been working this job so hard, and how come? How come I don't get a bonus so I can go out and get a brand new truck or something? You know what I'm saying? That there's, we, those are the things we think of as envy. But I think it's good for us to look at because... Like those people. Like, oh, I'm glad Paul's in prison now. Yeah. Like, I can go get the followers now. Yeah. Or I can say, look how many people I got saved. Yeah. And, and I think a reason, good reason to kind of bring ministry into this or kind of how we do stuff is because all these works of the flesh... All of this is here because there are believers in Galatia that have been taught that they need to be keeping the law if they want to really be good Christians. And Paul's saying, you know what happens when you go down that path? You have opened the door to all of these works of the flesh. And there's a lot of Christians doing a lot of ministry out of these works of the flesh. And I would say even probably Tim has at times out of jealousy of other people perhaps or envy 
<laughs> since that's our word here, have probably tried to do certain things. God's just is really good to say, okay, we'll give you some leash and see how that goes. Pretty soon you're like, <laughs> you know, and you're like, oh, that was miserable, you know. And God says, see, just just do what you're supposed to do and quit, quit being this idiot, okay. So we can do, and that's exactly why we, we looked at this. We've seen three times, three words in this list that Paul all connects with people actually doing real evangelism, really communicating the gospel. And Paul said, I rejoice they communicate the gospel, even though they're, they're, they're met. <laughs> motives. Slow down. Even though their motives are messed up, he says, they are still, they are still communicating the gospel. And he says, I was happy for that. Any questions? Next one, murder. Now, some of your Bibles do not have murder, okay? And, and that's because murder is missing from some Greek texts. But this is, most, most textual critics that look at this say the reason it, it do, it's missing from some Greek text, this is their guess, is that the word before it and the word murder in the Greek almost look the same. They have one letter missing. It's the letter theta, which is kind of a circle with a line. And remember, these were all written in capitals. And so sometimes they have what they call people that look up at the thing, and they, they look up and they write a word down. They look back at the text they're copying, and they go, oh, I just wrote that word. Because they're, they, what? So what word? The word envy, thanos, thanos has that letter. And murder is phanos. It just has this one letter with a line in it, this circle with a line in it that's missing. And if you look, and the thing is, I know what this is like because I've transcribed stuff on my computer and you look up and when you go back and you're reading through it, it's like, I missed a whole thing in there. What did I, because it doesn't read right. And then you go back and look at it and it's like, oh, it's because those two words side by side are so similar that I skipped over the one. <laughs> See? So I know what the, I've made that mistake. Okay, but probably good reason that murder should be here. Murder is, contrary to popular opinion in religious circles or circles that attack the Bible or attack God, murder is the senseless, unrighteous taking of life. Murder is the senseless, unrighteous taking of life. Not talking about a bug or something. That's right. That's right. Because there are people that use this verse and the statement of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. And they say, well, you shouldn't kill animals. You shouldn't kill a bug. I mean, people take this to great lengths. And they even say that we should never have capital punishment because it says thou shalt not kill. But in the same law that said thou shalt not kill, just a little bit like a chapter two later, it says, you know, if they kill, they're supposed to be killed. Because the word over there, literally the word thou shalt not kill, doesn't mean just don't kill. It means thou shalt not murder. There's a difference between murder and killing. Two different words. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Even in, in English as well as in Hebrew and as well as in Greek. Um, one passage, I, I, I think most of us understand murder, but I just think this is good for us to look First 1 Peter 4, just because I'm trying to bring out things that uh, yeah, believers might do. Yes, 1 Peter chapter 4, 
and go to verse 14. We could go back up above where he talks about sharing in Christ's suffering, but verse 14 he says, If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, happy are you, because the glory of God and his spirit refreshes himself on you. He refreshes on a believer that can actually go through hardship and difficulty and have a good attitude about it. It's like when the Spirit does that, it's like coming across uh, someplace you're really thirsty and it's like, oh, here's a cool tree and cool water. I, I was just telling Dwight the story this morning. We were talking about drinking water and I was telling him, I don't know how many years ago it was that Ben took me uh, backpacking overnight across Saddle Mountain and we camped up there. Both I thought we had plenty of water, but a Saturday Long about Saturday morning, it was pretty warm, and we come across, and there's about 40 cattle around a cattle trough up on the very top of Saddle Mountain out there. There's a pipe coming up, and water's dribbling out of it. And Ben, ben looks at me, and I look at him, and I'm like, I can't, I can't. <laughs> can't fill my water bottle out of that tank. And I said, I'm too afraid some cow, cow with, pardon me, but snotty nose and a gross mouth has probably tongued that, that pipe right there. Anyway, and so when we get... <laughs> When we're coming down the mountain, when we're coming down the mountain, just before we get out of cell phone range, Ben uh, calls Lindsay and says, hey, we're going to be down the mountain in about 40 minutes or whatever it is, and bring water. I still remember him saying, bring water. Man, did, was that refreshing, because we were both really hot and dry. Uh, it was like 2.30 or 2 in the afternoon. We were pretty hot that morning when we came down. But I just think of this idea here. Uh, he says the spirit refreshes himself on you. I got sidetracked by that word refresh. Just trying to, but the but I but but what this does is have to do with murder. But this is the point. I think he refreshes himself because it's because a lot of believers don't handle suffering very well, and when the spirit comes along with a believer that actually is is happy that they're he doesn't say rejoicing even he says happy he's makarios happy under their suffering because they're suffering for the name of Christ. It's like to the spirit, it's like coming across that cool, clean bottle of water. Oh, I'm parched. And it's he, the next verse. Now we come to now we come to the next verse. But do not let any of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler in other people's business. And it's that first word murder. And there are people that'll tell you Christians can't do that. But the thing is, Peter says, don't let any of you. He's writing to Christians. He's not writing to a large unsaved group of people. He's writing to believers. He says, don't let you suffer as murder. Have believers ever murdered? Yes. And sometimes believers probably have murdered and they think it's completely justified. Why, that person is causing us so much harm. He's hurting the church. Somebody's got to take him out. I, I don't know exactly the motivations, but I'm just trying to point out when you choose to live by law, which is what Paul's getting at over there, you're going to do works of the flesh, and one of those works of the flesh might even be you justifying murder. Well, I don't know that the guy was a Christian. You guys will probably all know the stories, what, 15, 20 years ago about the guy that went to an abortion clinic and shot a doctor getting in his car at the end of work because he performed abortions. And Adam, that's happened at least twice. And I'm sure that there were some people that were going, yay! I'm looking at it going, yeah, that, what that guy was doing was horrible, but what you did was no better. And it gives a black eye to Christianity. 
anyway. But Peter says, don't, don't suffer as a murderer. Don't, in other words, don't, don't murder. Don't be a thief. In fact, I always like that last one. Don't meddle in others' affairs. In other words, it's real easy for us to get ourselves involved in stuff that really has nothing to do with us. It's not like going and encouraging a believer, you can do this, you can keep going, God's got you. It's not that. It's like, oh, you shouldn't do that. Why, I never let my kids do that. That's, I always think that's probably the easiest way to meddle in other people's affairs, right? To always tell other people how to raise their kids. Why, I never let my kids get up from the table and run around. They had to sit there. I'm saying this because I've done that one more than once with my daughter. <laughs> anyway, okay, drunk, a last one, drunkenness here. Drunkenness, I don't think we probably need to uh, say a whole lot about drunkenness. I think we get that. Drunkenness is the consumption of alcohol to the point that it impairs an individual. And I think it's always important for us. I think we all know this. <coughs> Believers, people sometimes are impaired and they don't know they're impaired. The guy that walks out of a party or a bar and gets in a car and he's, he's had too many, he thinks he's good to get home until he drives off the road or hits somebody or something like that. So drunkenness, the consumption of alcohol to the point that it impairs an individual. But now this is... This is something I want all of you to see. It's back in Galatians chapter 5. Back in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 21, we're going to have this, we have this word envy, then we have murders in some of your Bibles, some don't. Drunkenness, carousings, and then it says, and things like these. So it's not like, oh, let's go create a whole other list. But it's the fact that there's a lot of things that we're thinking about that are probably like this. And Peggy, like said with envy, bitterness. Well, bitterness isn't in the list, but you know, is bitterness kind of a thing like envy? Yeah, it can be. And are there things like drunkenness? Yeah. Yeah. I have never in my life, because I have, I have not, I grew up in a family where we did not drink. Okay, we just did not. At Christmas, my we'd get a bottle of wine. My grandpa would pour everybody a little juice glass. Everybody that was about the extent of our family drinking once a year. Even when we were kids, we got to have a little bit in a juice glass. My grandma and grandpa didn't have wine glasses or anything. That was it. We just did not. So, was has Tim ever been drunk in his life? No. Have I ever been close to something like this? Gluttony. Oh, gluttony, yeah. Because even though my family did not drink to excess in any way, I can guarantee you we could get together and we could eat you under the table. And I remember, I remember Thanksgivings where the men would eat so much we'd all go into the, retire to the living room to watch a football game and nobody lasted 15 minutes. Pretty soon all the guys are... Because we're all so full you can't even keep your eyes open to watch a... Thanksgiving we football. Even the pie, yeah. Oh no, we, we never left the table without pie. You gotta have pie three times on Thanksgiving Day in my family. Yeah. You guys don't know this. We're gonna spend Thanksgiving apart this year because I'm gonna be in Iowa. We have never spent Thanksgiving apart. And Thanksgiving is the whole sure holiday. It's not Christmas. We don't get that excited about Christmas. Thanksgiving we do, because it's all about the food. <laughs> it's about the food and it's about games and fun and and no pressure of buying gifts or anything like that. So it, but 
it's the whole point I'm trying to make is I think eating way, way too much to the point that it can impair your ability. I hope none of you have ever done that, but I have done that too many times. Maybe it's like drunkenness. It can impair your ability. Okay, I just and use I that as an example. Food and drink is the only thing. If you start right. examining our society, mm -hmm. everybody's kind of addicted to something. Yeah. You know, you it, <coughs> it goes in so many different ways. Because the, the word drunkenness is contrasted to another word in the New Testament, which is the word sober. But that word sober... While it meant literally not intoxicated with clear senses, it also is used in a number of passages where it's talking about people just having clear senses. Can you get so wrapped up in a situation that you can't even hardly think clearly about anything else? Like referees roughing a game. You can get upset. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, there are other things that people... Uh, there are other people that things that people are addicted to that uh, impair impair our ability to make sound judgment. Well, sports is a good one. People who are watching football. Oh, the, 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 I grew up with our three brothers and my dad and all their friends yelling and screaming and making fools of themselves because of the football game that was going on. It's not limited to that. There's people that are way into music that right, everything right. is for that. There's activity. lots of things. They knit and they knit and, or they quilt or they do, you yes, know, it's yes. every, every, if you like got, obsessions or they yeah. love animals so much that everything is sacrificed <coughs> to animals. Right. Or they, or they can be a workaholic. Or it can be, I mean, there's just, it's so much. We are a people that tend to overdo it. We drive, to, we go to extremes. Yeah. Which that kind of combines zeal that we had up, had up above there and selfish ambition. I mean, you can see how many things kind of all feed into these works of the flesh. What's that, our phones, social media? All, all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 That, that's why they always talk about being self-controlled. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's yeah. like, it's, everybody's got something. That's right. Pastor? Yes. Selfish, uh, do, uh, it's not good because sometimes somebody tell me, and I say, I don't have enough money, right? And, uh, and then he says, that is not right. You have money, but you are selfish because you don't want to share it. Oh. Let's do the same thing. If they say that, mm, that's that's a judgment call. They're making a judgment call that they, you know. They're judging your motives. Yeah. I've, or they're trying to guilt you. I've had, Peg and I have had people come to us and ask for money for th different things mm -hmm. at the time. Or come and say, hey, could you ask the church for this? And in my mind, I'm thinking, no, you have a problem, and if we give you money for this, it's not going to help you deal with this problem. Yeah. yeah. So there's been times. There's been times we have helped help people, but there's times that you know you're just yeah. And then they think, oh, you're being selfish because you won't share. And I, there, it, it's you know what? It's hard to do. It's hard to tell somebody you're looking at in the face, going, no, you have a problem, and I don't want to enable you by writing you a check or giving you cash. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. So sometimes it's, yeah, sometimes that's, it, that's not the case. And I don't care if they say that. <laughs>
The last word that we have here is the word orgies. Most of us, because of our modern day culture, we think we there's certain things that come to mind with us. But all that word meant in the first century was simply wild, unrestrained partying. And it's interestingly enough, a lot of times in their culture, it went together with drunkenness. And I still think, uh, I, I have people in our church, you probably get tired of me using this illustration, but I don't know how many years ago. Again, I, I think it's been 20 years ago now. But it was, the, it, was a, at the, it was at the end of the year over at WSU. And I don't remember what started it, but there was something that happened. And all of a sudden it was on a Saturday night and you had mobs of students flooding the streets. And there were cars that got set on fire and dumpsters that were getting lit on fire. And I mean, they were showing it in the, the Saturday night news out of Spokane. You're like, what in the world's going on over there? But it was like people reacting to something that happened. But it was started off, there was all these parties going on. And I'm sure over there, those parties, a bunch of college students probably also involved a lot of alcohol. So there probably was a lot of drunkenness. But it's this partying that gets out of control. And pretty soon you get people doing Things that are kind of crazy and foolish. Think of Romans 13, 13. Let us walk with decency as in the daylight, not in carousing and drunkenness. And that word carousing in her Bible is that word crazy, wild partying. So, and it is. It's mob mentality that takes over. You get so wrapped up in the mob thing yes. that you, yeah, yeah, that you yeah. don't think clearly. And again, I think that that's something that, that can even, religion can even do that. I've listened to different people uh, online and you, somebody says, oh, you got to listen to this guy. And I'll go and listen to it. And at the end, it's like this guy becomes a cheerleader at the end of his message and he gets the crowd and the whole church crowd is like, oh, oh, and, they're pretty, and pretty soon they're just, oh, and they're just all crazy. And yeah, they're not throwing chairs or anything or hitting people. But it's just like, are they even thinking about what they're saying and doing right now? This has gotten out of hand. This is crazy. This is very different from the way Paul, like we looked at this last Sunday, that Paul said, you know, when you get together, do everything decently and in order because God is not a God of confusion or chaos, but he's a God of order. So even when you meet, there should be some so when order. You throw the chair, you need to know what foot to hit. <laughs> yeah. Well, we will just, we will abstain from throwing chairs then at church. So. Yeah, we got pews. <laughs> yeah, they're heavy, I tell you. After we moved them for communion a few weeks ago, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Oh, Gary, that's funny. Okay. So did you, did, well, I had to move them a couple times. Yes, yeah. So does anybody have anything to add on any of this? Okay. I want to stay on this one, but that carousing. Yeah? Okay, so... There's something after that, because that's the word. It's it's because um, I first Peter four three. So can you, can you go to that? Oh, I think I know what this statement. For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the pagans choose to do, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. See the the carousing I have back in Galatians is the orgies one. Yes. And, and the carousing is a different, it's products. Yeah, this is, I've got to look at the words. It's, no, it's comois over there. Oh, yeah. Oh, it is the same word. It is the same word in both but places. In Galatians, it's, 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 it's,
Galatians, it's English word is the carousing. Yeah. And it's in first Peter four it's the orgies. Yeah, but it's the same word in the Greek. It's so why is there a different why are they translating different? Yeah. I don't I can never tell you why translators in first Peter four three carousing is taught us. That's drinking. Oh, you have drinking parties. Oh, I see. They're applying it to another word there. Because there's the word. Yes. Because you have the same Greek word there, too. Not no, I do. There's two words there. Yeah. And one of them is the wild partying and one is the drinking party. So they actually, so the Greeks and the Romans also had drinking parties. So, and they had, you know, when you, you ever see that, I've never been at a party for like this because that was not my thing, but where you got somebody laying down and they're, they're trying to, and they're, and everybody's going, go, go. They're doing that. That's that. That's that. The that's the kind of stuff. That's that. Yeah. That's that second word there. So what's the first word then? The it's just the wild partying. So that's what I'm trying to say. Sometimes it's associated with drinking, but it's not a drinking party. The second word there in First Peter is a drinking party. The first time's just a wild party. Yeah. So you can have a wild party. And I'm just telling you, growing up in a Baptist church like I did, and sometimes you'd have like a bunch of us boys get together. We never went out and drank to excess, but there were times that we sometimes got kind of crazy and stupid and were tearing around town in somebody's car after youth group at night and mm -hmm. doing crazy stuff. And it's like, I look back at that and thinking, we were really stupid, you know. Did you do 360? Yes, they did. Yes, they did. <laughs> in, the, in the big old Plymouth. <laughs> so. Chinese fire drills. Never did those. Never did that. But what's a Chinese fire drill? Come to a stoplight and everybody in the car gets out, runs around the car, and gets back in. In a different place. You're supposed to try to get in a different place. Oh yeah, yeah. The light turns red and you have until it turns green to get that all done. Yeah. Oh, boy, I'm getting a little too old to do that anymore. No, that was teenager stuff. Yeah. So, anyway, it's, uh, I think it's helpful to go through these things. Some people would look, I, it's not like a thing you like to sit on, but these are things that are part of our flesh. They're actually more common around us, and we all struggle with them probably more than maybe we want to admit. We, we may not, like I said, we may not struggle with all of those, but I can guarantee you every one of you struggles with some of these. You may never, ever have, a, have the appeal to get drunk and to do that kind of thing. It might have no appeal to you, whatever. But maybe you struggle with fits of anger or being argumentative. See, that's, we all have things. And I always look at this as a sandwich. And you put these on the top bun, you put these nasty sexual things. Oh, I'd never do that. And down at the end, you got murder, drunkenness, and orgies, or wild parties. I'd never do any of that. But you forget all this content in the middle of the sandwich. And that probably, there's a lot of Christians that are really guilty of that that would say, oh, I'd never do these or these. But they kind of forget all this stuff that makes up the rest of the sandwich. It disputes dissensions and factions. Yeah, yeah. Christians are notorious for that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I am. I, I'm, I am not immune to this. But as we move into the next study, we'll look at how the Bible says we can deal with these things and how we actually can experience not just victory but freedom with regard to these issues. So, but I'm not going to be here, and so 
I don't know if Ben's going to be able to do this next week. He is going to be able to? All right, cool, good. So Ben will be leading this study next week. So, And I always like Ben's teaching style because he's really good at getting people chatting and talking more than I am. But uh, so, Okay. Um, just by way of prayer requests, things to keep, continue uh, remembering. Oh, where's my pen? Um, I appreciate, um, we're going to be busy. We got going to Portland this weekend for our friend's uh, funeral, our memorial, and then flying out on Monday. So I'd appreciate your prayers as we go out there and that I can be uh, a good help and encouragement to my parents out there. I'd appreciate that. Um, and uh, so then, and so do continue to remember Dale Spurbeck's wife and family, Sandy and his brothers, uh, after Dale's passed away. Continue to remember them. Continue to remember Eduardo, still waiting on that, that uh, uh, breathing machine thing to show up. So I'll try to check that again tonight when I get home and see maybe it's. So, okay. So, um, and thank you. I, I some of you already know this, but thank you for praying for the for the Bible study last night. That uh, I already told Lewis this. Stanton came in. Oh, here I'm still recording. It's 